Welcome once again to At Home in Your Hymnal. Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Oline. We are privileged to serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Today, as uh, we continue our look at Divine Service, Divine Service 1 specifically in Lutheran Service Book, today we're going to be looking at the Verba, the words of institution. We, we covered that just in part in our uh, last segment of our previous episode. Previous episode was 29. Today in episode 30, we're going to devote our entire episode to the verba, to the words of institution, to what Lutherans believe, teach, and confess regarding the doctrine and the practice of the Lord's Supper. Pastor, we uh, we talk about the verba, and uh, last time we talked about how the the verba are a compilation of the four places where Jesus speaks these words in Scripture. Why are these words, the verba? Why are these words so special in the Christian Church? Well, they're very special because they are a place where uh, our Lord Jesus Christ is specifically telling us about a gift that he is giving to the church that forgives sins. And um, he even says, as he says this, uh, do this in remembrance of me. And so we have a command then to do uh, this very thing that he is doing for us in that first time. And this is one of those very few places where we have this clearly laid out for us. Um, and that's why it's so very important and has become kind of the centerpiece of what we do on Sunday mornings. So when we uh, when we have the Lord's Supper, when we receive the Lord's Supper, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, whatever terminology you want to use there, when we get to that part in the divine service, uh, we are only remembering Jesus. Is that correct? It's just only a remembrance? Well, no, it's not only a remembrance. That's, um, we... Just like we, I think we said it quite a few times last week, everything hangs on the words that he says, and we believe those words to be true. And so, yes, a part of it is remembrance. He says, do this in remembrance of me. That is in the middle uh, voice, of course, so it is a reflexive thing. We're remembering him, and more importantly, I think, he's remembering us. But it also has the other words that we cannot just ignore or leave out, where he says, take, eat, this is my body, 
and take, drink, this is my blood, and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Every little part of it is important because every little part of it tells us what's going on and what's important about it. So we can't make it only a remembrance meal, as uh, some do. We have to take the whole enchilada, as I think Kuhlman would say. Okay, if you're, if you're counting at home, that was our first Kuhlman reference in our program today. Um, yes, uh, and again, I was... I was uh, playing with you you know that mm-hmm. the um uh th- there are some christians that the lord's supper is not celebrated very often because i can remember jesus when i'm mowing the lawn i can remember jesus when i'm changing a diaper i can remember jesus when i'm uh, playing golf and i don't need to take a little sip of wine and uh, eat a little kernel of bread uh, to remember jesus and so because they fall into the trap of thinking that Jesus' words mean that it's only a remembrance, the Lord's Supper just doesn't become very important. And to take Jesus' words at face value, this is a remembrance meal, but it is oh so much more than a remembrance meal. I want to share some words, and I want your reaction to these words, Pastor. Uh, You stood before the altar of God and pledged your faithfulness to them, Uh, This is from the Formula of Concord, Solid Declaration, Article 7, beginning at paragraph 79. Now, in the administration of the Holy Supper, the words of institution are to be publicly spoken or sung before the congregation distinctly and clearly, and should in no way be omitted, and this for very many and the most important reasons. First, In order that obedience may be rendered to the command of Christ, this do, that therefore should not be omitted, which Christ himself did in the Holy Supper. Secondly, that the faith of the hearers concerning the nature of the fruit of this sacrament, concerning the presence of the body and blood of Christ, concerning the forgiveness of sins, and all the benefits which have been purchased by the death and shedding of blood of Christ, and are bestowed upon us in Christ's testament, may be excited, strengthened, and confirmed by Christ's word, and, besides, that the elements of bread and wine may be consecrated or blessed for this holy use, in order that the body and blood of Christ may therewith be administered to us to be eaten and to be drunk, as St. Paul declares, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 16, the cup of blessing which we bless, which indeed occurs in no other way than through the repetition and recitation of the words of institution. Pastor, your thoughts on that quote from the Lutheran Confessions. Well, of course, yeah, uh, the Lutheran confessions are very good on these particular issues, especially in regards to the Lord's Supper. So uh, those listeners that are uh, hearing this, it's worth reading it, uh, not just from the Formula of Concord, but also uh, all the other places that it's talked about, the catechisms, the small called articles, etc., etc. And you can see just from that little quote that you read what the emphasis is. We take every single word uh, at its face value and put it all together to make the whole thing together. Uh, And so um, just to kind of give some quick examples, we could talk about that quote all day long. Um, It is the body and blood of Jesus because that's what the words of institution say. Take, eat, this is my body. And uh, what do we do with it? We don't put it on a a pole, on a monstrous, and parade it through town. We don't pray to it or worship it. Um, At least that's not its main purpose. 
but we take it and we eat it. Uh, And why do we do that? Well, the words tell us that very clearly, for the forgiveness of sins. And so all the things that are in the words from Jesus himself, recorded for us in Scripture and uh, recited each time, uh, we need to understand what each part of that means and, and believe that it's true, more importantly. And I think that fits in well with what what I've taught the confirmation classes for 30-plus years. Uh, I remember teaching you as we studied these words uh, in catechism study, Pastor, uh, many years ago and uh, continue to do so, that if a Christian can memorize the words of institution, the verba, then the doctrine and practice of the Lord's Supper is always in your mind and in your heart. Everything flows from these words, the words of institution, the verba. And uh, in Luther's small catechism, he asks four simple questions. And generally, when he does this in the catechism, he has multiple places in Scripture where he would lead us. Uh, where, Where is this written? How is this done? But here... The questions and the answers all flow from the same spot, the verba, the words of institution. Your comment on that? Well, the first thing you said was it's important for Christians to memorize the words of institution, and that's absolutely true. That's even why they're set to a tune, um, and the tune even helps with that memorization, understanding who's speaking and when, uh, and... uh, that's why we should do it in church. The kids will learn that much quicker. That's why Pastor Poppy always has Lady Gaga songs stuck in his head, because when <laughs> words are set to music, they there, stick in your head. There's only one pastor here that has Lady Gaga on the brain, That's let me just, and it's not Poppy, I'll tell you that. <laughs> so um, the words of institution are set to a tune in that regard, uh, and we have the higher notes, which are the narration that surrounds the events, and we have the lower notes, uh, which are the words of Jesus Christ. In fact, in lots of musical uh, settings, Christ is always sung by a bass to show the power and might of that, and we have that here in the words of institution as well. The words of Christ are lower, so we can memorize them in that regard. Now, the second part you asked was, um, why do all of the... Uh, explanations for what the Lord's Supper is go back to the verba, the words of institution. That's because that's the clearest place in Scripture where Jesus teaches us what is going on and what is happening in the Lord's Supper. He talks about it in other places, and so do some of the epistles and things like that, but they are all based on uh, having an understanding of what's happening from that night our Lord was betrayed and arrested. And so, we can look at those other verses as important about the Lord's Supper after we understand the clearest words, which are in the words of institution. Very well said, very well said. Well, let's just get into Luther's uh, first question then in the small catechism. What is the sacrament of the altar? And he answers, it is the true body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ under the bread and wine instituted by Christ himself for us Christians to eat and drink. First, Pastor, it is the true body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ under the bread and wine. Lutherans refer to this teaching as the real presence. Is that a, is that a good term? Uh, is that helpful? How, uh, how would you respond to that? It is a good term, so long as we understand it correctly, because as often happens in Christianity, Satan takes the 
the words and terminology that's used and uh, gives them to people who believe and teach different things, and they manipulate those words to mean what they want. And so the, the word real presence means we really believe that Jesus' body and blood is present when we eat the bread and drink the wine. Uh, that's the absolute truth, and we're talking about a physical presence. We're talking about how it's um, there for the forgiveness of our sins in its presence, and that we are really, truly eating Jesus. Now, the, um, the Reformed, some of the Reformed have taken that term, and they use it, and they mean that Jesus is spiritually present, or that we are spiritually present with Jesus when we are eating it. And so when we say real presence, we don't mean what the Reformed have taken it and twisted it to mean. We mean that Christ's body and blood are really present in, with, and under the bread and wine for us to eat. And that's important to understand as we talk about that term. The, uh, the term under is uh, sometimes misunderstood, too. It's not like, um, you know, you, you have some, uh, a book laying on the table and you lift it up and, oh, look what's under here. Uh, it's if not you, in that way. And, and If you Lutherans, pick up the bread fast enough, maybe you'll see Jesus there. There you go. So um, to expand on under, meaning under the form of, uh, Lutherans have come up with this little phrase, in, with, and under. The body and blood of Jesus is in the bread and wine. It is under the form of bread and wine. It is with the bread and the wine. It cannot be separated. It is really present in a way, that mysterious way, so that when Lutherans go to the Lord's Supper, they are receiving four things. I mean, when all people go to the Lord's Supper, they're receiving four things, whether they realize it or not. Scripture teaches bread, wine, body, blood. We'll pick up on that thought when we come back from our break. This is at home in your hymnal. We're looking at the words of institution, the verba, in the Lord's Supper. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it all of you. This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sin. Welcome back to At Home in your hymnal, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline. We're looking at the doctrine and practice of the Lord's Supper, specifically as we work our way through Divine Service Setting 1 in Lutheran Service Book. We are at the words of institution, the verba, and we're taking some time to talk about what Lutheran Christians believe, teach, and confess regarding this special gift of the Lord's Supper. There are several names for the Lord's Supper, Holy Communion, the sacrament of the altar, the breaking of the bread, the Holy Eucharist, all of those emphasize a special part or aspect of this holy meal. And yet at the same time, they all refer to the same meal. We, uh, we looked at Luther's words, or we looked at uh, the verba, the words of institution, 
at the beginning of our program. We heard them in their entirety, and we'll, we'll see if we can't uh, do that again before the end of the program. But we looked at Luther's first question based on the verba, uh, what is the sacrament of the altar? Luther's uh, very simple teaching for us to learn and memorize. It is the true body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ under the bread and wine instituted by Christ himself for us Christians to eat and to drink. Now, at the end of our last segment, Pastor, you talked about how some in the Reformed or Evangelical camp will uh, latch on to this phrase, real presence. And when Luther's when Lutherans use the word real presence, they mean that four things are present in the sacrament. The body and blood of Jesus and the bread and the wine, that you are actually eating all four of those things. The folks in the Reformed and Evangelical camp that might want to use that term real presence, they define it differently. And they would say a real spiritual presence, not a real physical presence. So that when they go to the Lord's Supper, they are not eating and drinking for different things. How does that work in the, uh, in the teaching of uh, many Reformed and Evangelicals today? Um, yeah, <clears throat> well, maybe it'd be worth saying here that there are technically three main viewpoints on what the Lord's Supper is. And uh, the Lutheran view we've talked about, that uh, Christ's body and blood are present in, with, and under the bread and the wine. And there's also the Reformed view we're going to talk about here in a second. There's also the Catholic view. Now, only one of these three views actually sticks solely with what God's Word said. The other two views use some sort of human philosophical understanding or logic or something like that to interpret what the words are saying in a way that maybe is easier to understand, but yet then drifts away from what the words actually are saying. The Catholics have that problem, uh, and the Reformed have that problem. We Lutherans just let the words stand as they are, and we try not to interpret them or um, understand them away uh, from what they're actually saying. The Reformed view um, is very difficult to thumb down because um, it it is written and recorded for us by people like John Calvin a long time ago, and it has evolved, and it continues to evolve over time. Uh, and so some churches have slightly different understandings than others, and it gets hard to pin down. Um, the basic idea is that Christ's body and blood are not physically present in, with, and under the bread and wine. Uh, some would say that we are ascending up into heaven and that we are participating with Christ's body and blood, spiritually speaking, by going up to heaven. And the reason they'd say that is they say Christ has ascended into heaven, and that's where he's stuck. He can't come out. Uh, and so uh, we have to go up there to participate in the Lord's Supper, and it's a spiritual thing only. It's not actual a physical eating of Christ's body and blood. Some uh, Reformed would say um, that Christ's body and blood are not present, but when we eat and drink, the main focus is that we remember all the things that he's done us, uh, because they'd say the bread looks a little bit like a piece of body, and the wine looks a little bit like... Um, looks like blood. and In fact, these are the people sometimes that don't have any problem using grape juice itself. Um, and, uh, and so those are the the ways that it kind of comes across, I think, here in America, uh, and even I was raised in a church where it was just bread and wine, but it made us remember what Jesus had done. I remember being with my mom as we mixed up 
Welch's grape juice to uh, fill the little shot glasses for the communion service, knowing that it would help us remember who Jesus was and what he did for us. Okay. So uh, there are, there are uh, many flavors of this basic teaching, depending on the denomination that you are in. And uh, if it's only bread and wine, most of the time, the frequency that the Lord's Supper is celebrated is less and less and less because you can remember Jesus in a variety of ways. You don't need to do this. Other or, things then take the place of the Lord's Supper as being important in this kind of teaching. Some churches may incorporate a foot washing. Some churches may do some other kind of uh, community service or whatever as they remember Jesus. However you slice it, in this particular teaching, the body and blood of Jesus given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins is either absent or severely diminished. Right, and and um, even if it... The church I grew up in didn't believe that Christ's body and blood were present, but they had communion every week, but it was done very nonchalantly and relaxed because if Jesus really isn't present there and there's no reason to act in a particular way. So kids were giggling and, you know, um, young kids were eating and drinking um, and people were drawing and they didn't actually have people come up to the altar. They passed it down the pews. It got spilled everywhere um, and everybody held on to their little cups until the the preacher said, do this in remembrance of me. Then they all drank it together and went on with the service. And it usually took about five minutes to do the whole thing. Uh, and it's nonchalant. It's not the centerpiece. It's not the core because Christ isn't there. It doesn't really forgive your sins. And so it's not that important. And that's really the key, right? Um, all these Reformed people, by using human logic and philosophy, have decided that Jesus didn't really mean what he said when he said what he said. He rather was telling us in a really odd way that this represents or uh, stands in for his body and blood and that he's not really present and doesn't care to be present with them. And therefore, there's no reason to treat it with dignity or respect or reverence. Not to have a political flashback, but in other words, is does not mean is. In uh, this particular teaching, it has to be replaced with something else. And uh, also, uh, to beg another question, and I don't want to go down this path just yet, but to beg another question, if it is only bread and wine and you are only remembering Jesus, it certainly doesn't matter who participates, whether they are instructed or not, whether they are even a Christian or not. And so that nonchalant attitude uh, carries over into a variety of other potential errors, not only in doctrine, but also in practice. Right. Did, did you notice that in your fellowship growing up, Pastor? Yep. In fact, I got in trouble for it when I was uh, uh, probably eight or nine years old because I was the acolyte and the other acolyte and I would sit up in the front of church screwing around the whole service, and when the Lord's Supper was done, they always gave it to us, and we we ate it until my parents noticed one time, and I got in trouble because I hadn't taken the pastor's class, but the pastor didn't have a problem with it, and the congregation didn't have a problem with it, and the people who passed it out didn't have a problem with it because it didn't matter because Jesus wasn't really there. When, uh, when we started this particular segment, Pastor, you also talked about the— when you said about the three ways that people 
basically understand the Lord's Supper, the Lutheran doctrine and practice, the real presence, the Reformed slash evangelical doctrine and practice, uh, a type of remembrance or spiritual eating. You also mentioned our brothers and sisters in the Roman Catholic Church, and they have a um, very unique teaching with regard to the Lord's Supper. They hold the Lord's Supper in extremely high esteem. They are a very, very sacramental church with regard to the Lord's Supper. And from the outside looking in, it would seem like there are very, very, very many similarities between what we Lutherans believe, teach, and confess and what Roman Catholics believe, teach, and confess with regard to the Lord's Supper. And yet you said that the Roman Catholics have allowed philosophy or human reason or logic to enter in. Can you elaborate on that, please? Yeah. Uh, so on the surface, it does look like they believe very similar to us or um, really not too terribly different. They believe Jesus' body and blood is really present, just like we believe Jesus' body and blood is really present. And uh, so in that regard, we are on the same page. Where their issue comes in is they've tried to explain it using Aristotelian philosophy. And so they've come up with something they call transubstantiation. Uh, and just to kind of make it uh, straightforward for you, um, Aristotle was a philosopher from Greece who's actually the teacher of Alexander the Great in the 4th century BC, and um, he was trying to explain how the world worked, and he rejected his teacher Plato's ideas, which had come from Socrates, that this world's just kind of a shadow of a better world that's perfect. Instead, he said, uh, we know what something is because of four causes. So if you have a styrofoam cup, um, you have the uh, cause that says it's a cup because it looks like a cup. It appears to be a cup. Uh, and so that's one of the causes that you know that it's a cup. You also know that it's a cup because it's made out of cup stuff. In this particular case, styrofoam cups made out of styrofoam. And so uh, it's a cup because it's made out of styrofoam like all the other styrofoam cups are. Um, it's a cup because it was made to be a cup by somebody. And it's a cup because you drink it uh, from it. And those last two maybe aren't quite as important as the first two, the appearance and the substance. Now, what they then do is they take this Aristotelian philosophy from 300 plus years before the time of Jesus, and they try to take that philosophy and apply it to the Lord's Supper to explain how Christ's body and blood are present. And so what they do is they say, you have bread that looks like bread and is made of bread stuff, and you have wine that looks like wine and is made of wine stuff. And when the priest says the words of institution, the substance changes so it's no longer bread and wine but rather it's Christ's body and blood that are present there but it still looks the same it still looks the same even though the substance has changed and you could never figure out the substance was different because it's been changed uh, miraculously so that's transubstantiation and the problem is is that's not what scripture teaches um it, it never tells us how it happens, except that by a miracle of God, this is happening. And so their explanation, while it might sound reasonable to these really smart phil philosophical people, um, it actually has no basis in God's Word and therefore departs from God's Word to explain it. So uh, to, to sum that up, 
in the Roman Catholic Church, what they believe, teach, and confess is the priest, by virtue of his ordination, speaks the words of institution that uh, his action and the words together perform a miracle so that the uh, bread and the wine appear to be there, but they are only there almost as a shadow, and what remains is the body and blood of Jesus. Is that is that a fair? Yeah. I know it's an oversimplification. And the best oversimplification to help us understand is the stuff changes, but it still looks the same. Okay. We're going to come back and examine that teaching in light of Holy Scripture. This is At Home in Your Hymnal. We're looking at the Lord's Supper. We'll be back in just a moment. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. This week's church service is more than hymns and a sermon. Get a more in-depth study of this week's message with Pastor Poppy and Pastor Moline on Proclaiming the One. Tune in Sundays at 12 p.m., Wednesdays at 11 a.m., Fridays at 11 a.m. and again at 6 p.m., and Saturdays at 10 a.m. For past episodes on demand, go to thecross957.org backslash proclaiming the one. same way also he took the cup after supper, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Welcome back to At Home in Your Hymnal. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, we are privileged to serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. You can tune in on KNNALP 95.7 in and around Lincoln. Our worship services are broadcast live. 8 and 10.30 on Sunday morning, 6.30 Wednesday evening year-round. Check out our archives at our website, thecross957.org. And we'd love to hear your comments and your feedback. We, um, we're working our way through the divine service, specifically divine service setting one. We're taking some time in this episode 30 to look at the doctrine and practice of the Lord's Supper. In our first segment, we looked at what Lutherans believe, teach, and confess, commonly called the real presence. Christ's body and blood is really present in, with, and under bread and wine, instituted by Christ himself for us Christians to eat and drink. In segment two, we looked at what many of the Reformed and Evangelical Christians teach and practice regarding the Lord's Supper, kind of a spiritualization of the Lord's Supper or a representation of And uh, at the end of that segment, we began our discussion of the Roman Catholic teaching regarding the Lord's Supper, oftentimes referred to as transubstantiation. And it's a bit of an oversimplification, but basically the priest, by virtue of his uh, ordination, he's been granted special powers, that he can speak the words of institution with power and authority, 
and that the bread and wine are transubstantiated into the body and blood of Jesus, that the body and blood of Jesus is really there, really present, but only the body and blood of Jesus is there. It may look like bread and wine. It may taste like bread and wine, but in the... um, explanation using Aristotelian logic, the bread and the wine are not there. It is only the body and blood of Jesus. Pastor, um, any comments on the way I framed our discussion? No, and I think, to keep it simple, um, there are three explanations for the Lord's Supper. The Reformed one uh, is based not on what the Word says, but rather human understanding, and as a result, denies the omnipresence of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, in a way. And then um, the Roman Catholic viewpoint, again, uh, not based on Scripture, uh, and uh, instead based upon a philosophy uh formulated by a pagan 300 years before the time of Christ, and uh, then there's additional problems that come from that, which I think we'll talk about here in a minute. Yeah, I want to I talk about when, uh, when Lutherans uh, celebrate the Lord's Supper, we emphasize the word sacrament. You don't have to uh, tune in to the uh, Roman Catholic cable channel, the uh, Eternal Word EWTN. Yeah, Yeah. EWTN. You don't have to watch that very long or attend a Roman Catholic Mass very long, and you will realize that the word sacrament is rarely used, but the word sacrifice is used quite often. And so what we believe, teach, and confess is a sacramental action where God is coming to us the very body and blood of Jesus in with and under bread and wine for Christians to eat and drink for the forgiveness of sins. There's really something different going on in the theology and practice in a Roman Catholic Mass. It is a sacrifice rather than a sacrament. Pastor, can you can you help bring some clarity to that? Well, we can definitely try, and, and again, we'll probably be oversimplifying just for the sake of understanding, um, and so you have to forgive us that. We we know what's going on, but trying to put it in words that can be easily understood is where the challenge often lies. Um, so the, the Roman Catholic viewpoint is, is that um, by performing the, the Mass, forgiveness of sins is earned. Uh, that in the action, uh, forgiveness of sins is there, and that you can then take that forgiveness and you can apply it to particular people or places. Um, So if your loved one dies, you can pay to have a mass performed on their behalf, and all the forgiveness from that particular sacrifice of Jesus Christ that takes place on that particular altar counts for that particular person um, that it is assigned to. And we would rather say all the forgiveness was earned by Jesus on the cross 2,000 years ago outside Jerusalem, and that it is now distributed to us in the Lord's Supper. It's not earned in the Lord's Supper, it's distributed in the Lord's Supper. And that's kind of the difference then between a sacrament and a sacrifice, at least in our understanding. A sacrament would be something where God attaches his words to some physical thing and it distributes the forgiveness earned by Jesus. Whereas the Roman Catholic viewpoint here is that in the actual saying of the words at the altar by the priest, Christ is um, 
sacrificed, represented uh, as a sacrifice to give a certain amount of forgiveness of sins. When you when you watch a uh, mass in the Roman Catholic Church, and uh, you know most of us have been to a Roman Catholic Church for a wedding or a funeral or a regular Sunday service or watched it on TV, you see that the priest is doing some very specific actions where he is lifting up the body, he is lifting up the blood of Christ, and this motion is teaching that Christ is being offered up to God the Father as a sacrifice. Now, different priests will explain this in different ways, but Which is many times... part of the challenge, right? That's part of the challenge. Um, and uh, you can go to the Roman Catholic Catechism. It's online. It's in the public domain. You can read this. We're not making any of this up, folks. But uh, basically, the Roman Catholic teaching, and I've been told this by a number of priests, is that we certainly do not deny the once and for all sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. We extol Good Friday. We extol the resurrection of Jesus. But what is happening in the Mass, as I've been told by Roman Catholic priests, is they are offering up to God the Father an unbloody sacrifice to pay for the people's most recent sins. Pastor, that sounds pretty good. What's wrong with that teaching? Well, um, number one, the offering up of Christ again as an uh, unbloody sacrifice uh, goes against the word of Scripture, where we hear that Christ was crucified once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, uh, etc. And so it's not that Christ needs to continually be re-offered, uh, but he was offered once by God to God uh, on behalf of all sins. Additionally, it's not that it only it, there's not a limited forgiveness that's given in the Lord's Supper. Maybe is the way to say it. it's not just for the most recent sins. It is for all sins, and that kind of flows out of a again oversimplification. The Roman Catholic view that Christ is dying for original sin and um, the actual sins that you can you commit you need to confess and and pay penance for and that's oversimplification i'm going to admit that it's not that but rather christ dies for every single sin is what we would say and we just need to continually receive that forgiveness and be reminded of it it's not that we have to remember and list off what we've done wrong and make penance for that everything is forgiven by christ that that uh, confusion over which sins Jesus has paid for uh, flows over into the Roman Catholic doctrine and practice of holy baptism as well. It does. Where baptism removes original sin, but you have to perform the sacrament of penance to take care of your most recent sins. And there's there are several different teaching in the Roman Catholic Church. The official teaching, go to the Roman Catholic Catechism online, but we take the bare naked words of Scripture seriously and Lutherans believe, teach, and confess that when God's word, specifically in the book of Hebrews, says Jesus died once and for all, that means he died for all people, he died for all sin, he died for all time. And any teaching that would deny any one of those three aspects, once and for all, people, time, sin, anything that would limit 
that once and for all sacrifice of Jesus we would cry foul to because it goes against the very clear, simple teaching of Scripture. Pastor, in the Roman Catholic Church, uh, very, very sacramental, great devotion to the Lord's Supper, great reverence for the Lord's Supper, and I think Lutherans can yeah. learn something there. And, and that's, again, because they believe Christ is really present there, and if he is, that implicates what, how we should act. <laughs> yes, and I think, I think many Lutherans can learn something, at least from the outward respect and reverence, uh, and Lutheran confessions talk about how there should be no frivolity with the liturgy and especially with the uh, celebration of the sacrament. In this teaching that Christ's body and blood, or the bread and wine have been transubstantiated into Christ's body and blood, it leads to other errors. One of the big things that was happening at the time of the Reformation was an argument over the Corpus Christi uh, processional. Can you briefly explain how that error came to be and why Lutherans were so, so vehemently opposed to a Corpus Christi procession? Yeah. um, Again, the Lutheran viewpoint is we let the words stand for themselves, and part of the words say, take and eat, this is my body. And so that's the very thing we ought to do. We ought to take it and eat it. Corpus Christi, you probably know it from the Godfather Part 2, um, when uh, uh, you know the Godfather commits his first murder during that processional where they're walking down the street with the cross of Christ, and in front of it they have a giant monstrance. And uh, they're praying and worshiping and bowing to a piece of bread that's been consecrated and set into a special carrier. And the idea is is that that is Christ's body. And it's absolutely uh, the real presence of Christ, they would say. And so they pray to it. They bow before it. They worship it. There's even um, now, even today, uh, you can do that in a church and they'll put a piece of consecrated bread into a monstrance and they'll sit there for hours and they'll meditate and they'll pray and they'll worship that piece of bread. Um, the trouble is, is that Christ's words didn't say, take place into a monstrance, pray to this, this is my body. He said, take, eat, this is my body, given and shed for you the forgiveness of sins. He didn't say, take, eat, or sorry, take this piece of bread, put it in a box um, uh, and and worship it, he said, take and eat. And so we want to make sure we focus on that and we do what the words say, take and eat, not take and pray to. Maybe that's a quick explanation. No, and I think and I think that uh, sums things up very, very well. We do what Christ tells us to do in the sacrament. We believe what Christ tells us it is in the sacrament. Christ says, eat it and drink it to do anything else, uh, to worship it, to pray to it, to uh, adore it as if it is God, or as was the practice in the Middle Ages, to sneak it home, tack it on your wall as a good luck charm. These things are an offense to God. They are an offense to his word and deny the very clear words that Jesus has given us of why He has given us this special meal. Oh, we have so much more to talk about. We need to take a break. This is At Home in Your Hymnal. We're looking at the doctrine and practice of the Lord's Supper. We'll be right back. Which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. This do as often as you drink it. You are listening to KNNA. LP 
105.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Which is given for you, this do in remembrance of me. Welcome back to At Home in Your Hymnal, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline. We're looking at the doctrine and practice of the Lord's Supper. We have, in our first segment, talked about what Lutherans believe, teach, and confess, the real presence. In segment two, we looked at the Reformed evangelical teaching, oftentimes called representation, kind of a spiritualizing of the Lord's Supper. In our last segment, we spent most of our time talking about what our brothers and sisters in the Roman Catholic church teach with regard to the Lord's Supper transubstantiation and the problems with that particular teaching. Lutherans emphasize the Word of God, and we want to stick to the bare, naked Word of God. The Lord's Supper is a divine mystery. Let's listen once again to those words of institution. On the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Once again, the verba, the words of institution, beautifully sung. And while we're talking about placing the emphasis on the Word of God, I want to share this quote from Martin Luther from Luther's Large Catechism. Pastor, and I I want your comments when we're done. It is the Word, I say, which makes and distinguishes this sacrament, so that it is not mere bread and wine, but is as is called, the body and blood of Christ. If the word be joined to the element, it becomes a sacrament. This saying of St. Augustine is so properly and well put that he has scarcely said anything better. The word must make a sacrament of the element, else it remains a mere element. Now it is not the word or ordinance of a prince or emperor, but of the sublime majesty at whose feet all creatures should fall, and affirm it, as he says, and accept it with all reverence, fear, and humility. With this word, you can strengthen your conscience and say, if a hundred thousand devils, together with all fanatics, should rush forward, crying, how can bread and wine be the body and blood of Christ? I know that all spirits and scholars together are not as wise as the divine majesty in his little finger. 
Now here stands the word of Christ. Take, eat, this is my body. Drink ye all of it. This is the New Testament in my blood. Here we abide and would like to see those who will constitute themselves his masters and make it different from what he has spoken. It is true indeed that if you take away the word or regard it without the words, you have nothing but mere bread and wine. But if the words remain with them as they shall and must, then in virtue of the same, it is truly the body and blood of Christ. For as the lips of Christ say and speak, so it is, as he can never lie or deceive. Pastor, what do you think about that Luther quote? Is, uh, is this some of Luther's uh, famous um, exaggeration to make a point, or is Luther telling it like it is? I'd say Luther's telling it like it is, and this is exactly what we see, right? The thousands and thousands of people who come at it and say, well, it can't be Christ's body and blood, or you don't have the right understanding of it. And I think Luther is very uh, prophetic in what he says there in that regard. Um, and that's exactly the truth. All we can do is take Christ at his word, and his word is pretty clear. This is my body given for you. This is my blood shed for you. Um, take it and eat it. Take it and drink it. And when you do that, you'll get forgiveness of sins. The word, the word, the word. It's very, very clear. The word, the word, the word. That's what Lutherans cling to. And uh, we do not worship the Bible per se, like uh, carrying it around on a lampstand and uh, bowing down to it or whatever, but we treasure everything that is in the Bible because it is the very Word of God. And we do worship the Word who became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only begotten Son. That's what we do worship, Jesus Christ, um, who is the Word incarnate, and that's very important in our whole understanding of what's going on. And we do not pit one word of Scripture against another. Now, uh, again, Luther teaches us in his small catechism by asking the question, what is the benefit of this eating and drinking? Then he answers these words, given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins, show us that in the sacrament, forgiveness of sins, life and salvation are given us through these words. For where there is forgiveness of sins, there is also life and salvation. One of the most one of the most beautiful lines in all of Luther's small catechism, where there is forgiveness of sins, there is also life and salvation. Pastor, we spent a great amount of time in this program talking about what Reformed and Evangelical Christians teach with regard to the sacrament. We've spent a great amount of time on this program with regard to what our Roman Catholic friends teach and confess regarding this sacrament. Lutherans believe, teach, and confess that the verba are the primary point in the sacrament. And if you had to pinpoint the most important words in the verba, Luther would say that given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. This is the high point. This is, this is uh, the, the main thing, for lack of a better thing. Why is the forgiveness of sins so important in the Lutheran doctrine and practice of the Lord's Supper? And how does the forgiveness of sins get diminished 
in the two errors that we have talked about, both the Reformed Evangelical and the Roman Catholic? Well, forgiveness of sins is most important because that's where our eternal life and salvation hinge, as Luther says in that explanation. <clears throat> and that gets dis- diminished in the other viewpoints. Um, if Christ's body and blood are not really present, as the Reformed say, physically uh, there, the ones that hung on the cross and laid in the tomb and raised from the dead, if that's not really there, then you're not getting forgiveness of sins. And if you're not getting forgiveness of sins, what's the point? It's just kind of like a nice post-sermon snack, maybe. And... Uh, you know the the snacks that my wife brings for the kids in her purse for church services are usually a little better than a, a stale piece of bread and a little cup of uh, uh, cheap wine, right? Um, they're actually good snacks, like candy bars and things. Uh, and maybe that's what we should do instead. We could still remember Christ and have a candy bar. Um, if Christ's not present, then you're not forgetting forgiveness of sins, and it's really kind of a minor thing. If uh, you're in the Roman Catholic viewpoint, then there's something more. It's uh, what Christ is giving here plus something else that is necessary for your forgiveness of sins, um, the repre- representation of the sacrifice, the reoffering of the sacrifice, uh, the right prayers, the right way you're doing it, uh, and that then takes away from the forgiveness of sins. If we just take the words at the words, we get exactly what they say. Luther goes on in his catechism, and he says, well, how can bodily eating and drinking do such great things? And then he answers, certainly not just eating and drinking do these things, but the words written here, given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. These words, along with the eating and drinking, are the main thing in the sacrament. Whoever believes these words has exactly what they say, the forgiveness of sins. Kind of sounds like Luther is a Johnny One note here with regard to the Lord's Supper. What is it? The forgiveness of sins. What's the benefit? The forgiveness of sins. How can bodily eating and drinking do such great things? It's all about the forgiveness of sins. Uh, Again, is this hyperbole from Luther, or is the forgiveness of sins the primary thing in the Lord's Supper? The forgiveness of sins is the primary thing in the Lord's Supper, and that flows out of the real presence of Christ in the Lord's Supper, and that then flows out of who our definition of Jesus is uh, from the creeds and all the theology and stuff that went along with him. Uh, And so all of this is contained and given to us in this uh, Lord's Supper so that we might receive forgiveness. And it's not hyperbole, it's the truth, it's God's Word, and it's what God's Word says. It's not like you keep asking and I know why you're doing it, right? You keep asking if Luther's being um, uh, over-exaggerating and things like that, when actually all Luther's doing is saying, look at what the words say, look at what Jesus says, believe what Jesus says, look at the word. And so the questions really should be, is Jesus over-exaggerating? And when we get to the Jesus and what his word says, we can never, ever say that. And he cannot deceive and he cannot lie. I want to... uh, uh, bring things to a close here with another quote from the formula of concord solid declaration article 7 paragraph 75 for the true and almighty words of jesus christ which he spoke at the first institution were efficacious not only at the first supper but they endure are valid operate and are still efficacious Their force, power, and efficacy endure and avail even to the present, so that in all places where the supper is celebrated according to the institution of Christ and his words are used, the body and blood of Christ are truly present, distributed, and received. 
because of the power and efficacy of the words which Christ spoke at the first supper. For where his institution is observed and his words are spoken over the bread and the cup, and the consecrated bread and wine are distributed, Christ himself, through the spoken words, is still efficacious by virtue of the first institution, through his word, which he wishes to be there repeated. Pastor, comment? Yeah. Uh, boy, I mean, what do you add or subtract from that? That that says what we believe, teach, and fast very clearly, um, that that Christ's body and blood is here and that we get forgiveness of sins. And uh, maybe where we need to go in our next episode is to talk about the practice and how this theology that we've been talking about informs what we do and uh, how pastors uh, act reverently and how congregations act reverently and how uh, what is happening, Christ's presence, informs our our Sunday service. That is exactly where we want to go. And Luther's last question in this section on the Lord's Supper sets the stage beautifully. Who receives this sacrament worthily? Fasting and bodily preparation are certainly fine outward training. But that person is truly worthy and well prepared who has faith in these words. Are you ready for this? Johnny OneNote is back at it. Given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. But anyone who does not believe these words or doubts them is unworthy and unprepared for the words for you require all hearts to believe. My friends, when it comes to the Lord's Supper, know that God has instituted this meal for you. Why? For the forgiveness of sins. What is it? The very body and blood of Jesus in and under bread and wine instituted by Christ himself for us Christians to eat and drink. We need to take a short, or I guess I, we're done with our program. This is episode 30. We'll be back again next time to talk about practice and distribution of the Lord's Supper. We'll see you then. This cup is the New Testament in my